Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Please join me in our uh, scripture reading today, and um, we're reading from Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 11, and verses 16 through 20, and in your pew Bible, for ease of reference, it's at page 844. Um, I'll just mention quickly, Reverend Gabbard sent me the uh, scripture yesterday, not too soon before, too long before I learned of the passing of longtime church member Bill Dukes, and um, sorry. This uh, puts me in mind of him. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go on your way. I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near you. Has come near. And picking up in verse 16, Whoever listens to you listens to me, and whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. He said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Indeed, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not repeat, rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Last week, our focus was on Jesus as he set his face on Jerusalem. We we talked about the truth that Jesus had intentionally made his move from his missional journey, all of this active ministry, towards Jerusalem, the place that would be home to his arrest, mockery, torture, and even death. And we were challenged through last week's scripture to make our own choice to turn our face toward Jerusalem and follow Christ, living the life of a true disciple, strengthened by prayer. This week's scripture offers a picture of the next story in that Jerusalem journey. In Luke, the extension of Jesus' mission is not placed in the hands of a chosen few like the story before. Instead, Luke seems to el- sees and both illustrates 
for the reader that this mission of kingdom, this mission of kingdom that's going to be carried out by many, many of Jesus' followers, this narrative of the ministry of the 70 or the 72 appears in Luke and isn't included in any other of the four Gospels. Luke has already told his audience about the mission um, that the 12 must focus on, this mission of healing and kingdom proclamation. And now he extends that same ministry to a wider audience, to this bigger group, this wider group of followers. They're sent to prepare the way for Jesus, and they're sent out in pairs. In earlier passages, Luke, Luke's writing suggests that both men and women probably make up this group, this group of 70 or 72. Uh, an important moment comes in chapter 8 in verses 1 through 3 where the 12 disciples and many women are described as being with Jesus. It seems fitting that these women and men who had committed to following and supporting Jesus' ministry in all of these ways are the group that would make up a good bit of this gathering that Jesus is speaking to here in chapter 10. Jesus' metaphor of this harvest mission sets the tone for the instructions that will follow. Jesus' metaphor implies that the group should expect a large response to this kingdom announcement. Jesus also indicates that there's a pressing need for disciples. There's a pressing need for disciples who are going to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And so this sense of urgency exists in this story. Jesus discourages taking any much with, much with the group. No purse, no bag, sandals, don't even greet anyone along the way, he says. And it's interesting, these descriptive instructions or a sense of hurriedness of preparation and an urgency to travel. We might almost hear echoes from 2 Kings 4 where the prophet Elisha gives similar instructions to his servant to make haste and go on ahead of him on a mission. It says in 2 Kings um, chapter 4, verse 29, Don't greet anyone you meet, and if anyone greets you, do not answer. And so we've got this imperative to move and move quickly. I think it's instructive that our story from last week, one with, filled with hesitant disciples wrestling with whether to turn towards Jerusalem, is set almost juxtaposed against this large group being sent out. It's certainly a clear picture that discipleship is a sent out sort of thing. Discipleship is not an inside, contemplative sort of thing. It is being sent out. So these 72 are sent ahead, armed with instructions and warning to make a way to proclaim God's kingdom. So this week, I've been preparing for this sermon. I've been asking myself the question, what does it mean to proclaim God's kingdom. I heard a quote in the last few weeks, I think that, that fits here really well. It says, you can't be so heavenly minded 
that you're no earthly good. And you can't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good. And did you hear that? You can't be so heavenly minded that you're no good right here, present. And you can't be so earthly minded, you can't be so present that you can't be heavenly good. To me, that quote points to the tension that exists when we try to answer my question. (laughs) What does it mean to proclaim God's kingdom? It's the tension between participating in the kingdom of God at work in the world versus this future proclamation, this judgment that is to come. This proclamation of God's kingdom creates a moment when this sense of the present kingdom of God and the idea of an end times judgment clash. And Baptists and Christians have been fighting this fight for a long time. Do we do good right here or do we just make sure folks have fire insurance? That's the tension we've got. This is the space that makes most Christians uncomfortable, no matter where you land answering this question. One thing is certain. In Scripture, Jesus talked about the need for salvation. Jesus talked about the idea of physical salvation as well, of feeding the hungry, of healing the sick and afflicted, and the importance of reconciling relationships. But Jesus also came to restore the relationship between the people of God and the creator of the universe, the God that Jesus described as Abba, Father. So, what is the best way to recognize this tension, and how do we walk in that tension every day as we prepare to be called home. I think the best example we have is the one we find between Jesus and John the Baptist. No, I don't think we are called to dress weirdly and eat locusts and honey. But I do think our job is to pave the way for Christ in all of our relationships and in our own heart. Our calling as Christians is to proclaim the kingdom of God with our actions and with our words. We need to start working our way out of a job. We should live in such a way that a focus is not on us, but on Christ. And that when we're called home, folks would certainly clearly understand what we were about. This job will not be easy. And it wasn't for John the Baptist. If we remember, he ended up headless in the end. But this job, this calling, living the gospel preached with our actions, in our words, is going to stir some tension in relationship. The scripture is clear. It says that the 70 were to be sent out to be lambs among wolves. We must be wise and make room for dialogue, folks. Keeping the love of Christ at the forefront of every interaction that we have. We're filled with a world of certainty 
today. We're certain about a lot of things. And most of those things we like to post on Facebook. Certainty is dangerous in some ways. Especially when we can't keep love at the forefront. The text also says that we'll go out with little to no resources, but that God will provide. We must go out trusting that God will supply our needs and that doors will be open because of God's provision. Jesus lived in a time where hospitality was different than we understand it today. Now, I grew up in a hospitable household. My mother always wanted to host friends. I think her, her mantra was um, she wanted to host all my friends so she knew what, what I was up to, right? I figured uh, it out later in life, but she was uh, loving me by hosting my friends. But hospitality is different in Jesus' day. The scripture we encounter is a heavily weighted scene. He mentions Sodom and Gomorrah. The story is is set during an era of intense hospitality. And the reference that those that reject the travelers will will suffer a worse fate than those um, of Sodom isn't about sexual immorality and other things. other decisions, right? Sinful decision making. Sometimes when we re- re- try to remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, we think it's all about sinful uh, uh, morality. The, the harsh judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah was a lack of hospitality. That is what they were preached against. This is a direct indictment for us today about the danger of not welcoming the stranger. Our task, proclaiming God's kingdom with action and words, is a tough one. We're sent out, and we may face tough relationships. But we're called to reflect first the love of Christ. We're sent out quickly and must pack lightly, but we're sent out with enough And God will provide whatever else we might need. We're sent out and must both receive and offer radical hospitality to those we meet. We must welcome the stranger and make space for honest conversation. And we must find strength for that through prayer and scripture. We must approach the scriptures with humility and patience, with our own agenda out of the way, and allow the Spirit to stir the deeper meaning for us. Otherwise, we only hear what we already agree with or what we've decided to look for. Isn't that rather obvious in most cases? As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.13, he says, We must teach not in the way philosophy is taught, but in the way the Spirit teaches us. We must teach spiritual things spiritually. 
You see, this model of teaching is much more about transformation than information. The study of Scripture should be a living and breathing experience, one of gathering, one of listening, one of experience. And this transformation changes the entire focus and goal of our reading and study of Scripture. At least it should. Father Richard Rohr says, quote, We need to be transformed people and not just people with answers. As Eugene Ionesco wrote, Explanation separates us from astonishment. Rohr continues, I don't want my teachings and my too many words to separate anyone from astonishment or to act as a substitute for inner experience. The marvelous anthology and of books and letters that we call scripture is all for the sake, is for the sake of astonishment. It's mystery. It's not for proof or certainty. It's for divine transformation, not intellectual or small self-coziness. Ideas are not a problem, but a true inner experience is something else. It changes us, and human beings do not like to change. The biblical revelation invites us into a genuinely new experience. The trouble is that we have made the Bible into a bunch of ideas about which we can be right or wrong rather than an invitation to a new set of eyes. God is at work. God is at work giving us the opportunity for a new set of eyes, dear friends. How will you proclaim God's kingdom this week? Will you decide to pave the way for Christ in the people you connect with? Or will you simply share your well-formed opinions? Will you act out of love to all those you meet? Or will you let selfishness and power fuel your motives? Will you live as someone transformed by the mystery of God? Or will you share answers galore? God is at work. Let's proclaim God's kingdom come together this week. Will you pray with me? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.